0: Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. I'm Julie Smith, and this week I'm zooming down to Cornwall to meet the woman of the moment, Emily Scott, one of only two British chefs chosen to feed the leaders of the Western world at this summer's G7 summit.
1: You know, I'm a bit awkward. I'm quite shy, really, and that's why being a chef behind the scenes has always suited me. And I kind of looked up, and there's President Biden just standing there, kind of he's introducing himself to me and it was like what this is really bizarre
0: her book sea and shore is bound to be among the winners of next year's awards but i was more interested in its subtitle recipes and stories from a kitchen in cornwall something you usually find on books about a journey of identity for the writer in which food helps them find out who they really are i asked emily if that resonated with her
1: gosh that that makes me feel quite emotional actually because um this book is so personal to me. Um, so it kind of resonates with me in the fact that this, this is my story and very much my life. And uh, I think that's what I hope people will, will feel when they read it.
0: Tell me a little bit more about that. What I see is beautiful simplicity finding the treasures from the sea and from the land that seem to have been the story of your childhood, the storytelling, the memories.
1: Is that what you're describing as who you are? I think, I think that has come with age, actually. And I think at this point in my life, that has been why I've been able to write the book because i've been slightly stuck in who i was or am and so to be able to to put all these words onto paper and i wouldn't consider myself a writer at all although now i probably i think i i think i am actually <laughs> but uh i never thought i had all those words in me but i think with age which is a really interesting thing because with age comes confidence and i'm a big self doubter so all those all those memories and moments and things that make me me are now on paper which is incredibly special for personally for me it's all about senses smells taste the way a place makes you feel so it's all very simple Uh, but I have been banging the, the simplicity drum so to speak for years so it's quite nice to be heard now
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel so sorry for kids. All that amazing magic is locked inside their heads. They don't have the age, the maturity, the confidence to speak it out. It does take some time, unless you're an extraordinary prodigy, to be able to put all that, those jigsaw pieces into one picture that you can then put on the page. It takes time. Yeah,
1: time. And time is an interesting thing because I'm quite impatient as a person. So I, I quite, and I'm a doer. So so what's special about this book is it has taken so much time. And I've yeah. got, and at this point in my life, in my career, all those pieces have come together in a rather extraordinary way, actually. From being even a, a mother to, you know, being in love. You know, that's a big thing, especially when you get to a, an age where, you know, life's difficult, isn't it? Life isn't all about you know, skipping through the grass all the time. So I think for me, those pu- those pieces of the puzzle that I hoped I would fulfill or do well or enjoy, I think people don't enjoy enough. I think moments get lost. Um, so for me, and, and from a kind of cook, I prefer to call myself a cook, although I'm very much in the chef world. Um, bringing, bringing joy to people, I feel like I'm I'm fulfilling that need, that kind of nourishing people, bringing people around a table. I think I found my feet. And this book kind of underlines all those things that I feel. So it's incredibly exciting. But I was so anxious about it as well. I feel less anxious now it's out there. But I think I've I've spoken to a few authors who feel exactly the same. It's like, you know, and this is incredibly personal, which you've already said.
0: You can hear the emotion in your voice when you're talking about how long it's taken you to find your way to where you are now. And yet it is simplicity that is at the core of who you are. The food uh, is from the land and the sea all around you. Why is it so hard to take the food from the land, which we've always had? and put it on our tables and wow people. Why do we still have that issue with our food culture when we've got it all?
1: I think, I think for me, well, I think it's because people try and overcomplicate it and, and try and be too clever, maybe. I mean, I've always said less is more, you know, and always for me, cooking within the seasons is the best way because basically the universe is giving you things that are right at the right time. So for me... I would say, you know, keep it simple. Keep, you know, for me, just even like, I I know I I wrote in my email to you about a peach and I have wonderful members of white peaches in Provence, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But for me, it's not necessarily about a plate of food or a dish. It's about one thing or one, you know, when you kind of um, touch herbs and and you smell them. And for me, that evokes a memory. So it's all about nostalgia um, but keeping things simple people you know just fuss and faff so much which I don't feel you know I, I really appreciate fine cooking don't get me wrong and I, and I know where I, I know you know I'm not um, you know I, th- I think there's a place for everything but for me especially after this really difficult year everyone wants to just come back to that kind of s- simple way of living the good life kind of thing um and Cornwall is the most amazing place um for food and when I arrived here 20 years ago you know it was that awful kind of oh it's taken about two days to get here and you know it it was always that place that was miles away as a child bumping in the back of a car trying to get get to, to the the house but now we're connected in so many ways and Cornwall is one of the the best places to be and in a way for me, it's taken so long to break through. Potentially because I'm here, because obviously, if maybe if I was in London, but then to me, London is probably so competitive with amazing people and amazing food, and so in a way, I kind of have been quietly consistent down here, and suddenly it's all working for me because of maybe just it's the right. It's the right time, isn't it? And the simplicity drum is 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 being heard.
0: Well, exactly. And it is exactly what we need. And we're going to talk about cooking for President Biden and Macron and all the rest of the G7 in a second. But, you know, lockdown has encouraged the tourist industry to head southwest, and Cornwall has totally scooped up. And you're not the only great chef around there. I mean, you know, you come from Port Isaac, you you were at the Harbour Restaurant, Um, you were amongst the greats, the Rick Steins and Nathan Outlaws. You know, there's some um, amazing food down there but there's also you know wonderful wonderful ingredients you've just taken over a residency a pop-up at the Watergate Bay Hotel and I can't wait to go there in September Jamie Oliver I mean had his Jamie's 15 there way back when you're kind of taking that onto a different level I mean how does that feel
1: you know there are a lot of incredible people um down here and but it's so collaborative it's not competitive and that's what makes it so special and All those supplies, for me, it's all about the provenance and the people that work hard to bring the ingredients to me. So, you know, I'm quite humbled by them, actually, because, you know, it's amazing what people are doing. It's inspiring. So I want to just kind of be able to bring it all back to them in that sense. For me, life's all about opportunities, and I've quietly done it. I mean, I think very carefully about the choices I make, now maybe not so much earlier in my life but now and i i'm always aware of um what everyone else is doing but i really try and just think right this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm going to bring to the party so let's do it and do it well I mean, it's great
0: that so many people are coming. I mean, I tried for days and days to find somewhere to stay around Watergate Bay so I could come and eat at your restaurant. I mean, it was almost impossible. But I just wonder after these couple of summers of everyone in Britain going down to to Cornwall or so it seems, whether that itself, if everybody's kind of eating great food, and really recognising who they are as well and what this amazing country can provide. I wonder if that itself is going to boost the interest in in British food culture.
1: I hope so. I think I think generally hospitality is is an incredibly it's incredibly challenging. I can't oh, I can't tell you how challenging it is and almost I almost got to a point of like oh why am i doing this because actually it's wonderful to have so many people back there's quite a lot of unrelaxed uptight people and i get that but we're getting the brunt of it in some ways we're getting a lot of lovely people but there's a i think at the moment there's this kind of it's still quite bumpy it's a bit like being out to sea on a boat you don't really want to be on because you never know quite how people are going to react i think and that's partly because of the, the trauma I think, of the last year and how everyone has dealt with that. Um, but, you know, I think it, it, hopefully it's just going to get better and people are going to just relax a bit more because it is all... Yeah. And I think, I think not being able to get tables or not being able to walk in is quite um, psychologically kind of wearing for people because they just want to go, you know, can we come in? You know, you've got a table and we are quite you know, booked out, which is amazing. But if I've fed someone early, then I'd quite like to be able to say, yeah, we've got a table, come on in. But because of COVID, we're just being quite, you know, strict with that. So yeah, um, oh, it is, it's interesting times and it will be interesting in a year. We'll look back and, and, and see how we all felt or feel. Tell us about the G7.
0: What an amazing tell us about the moment when you found out that you were going to be one of the the chefs chosen to represent british food at the G7 summit
1: so i had a phone call saying that i was i'd been on a long list and then i was on a short list and then it was down to two and me being me was like oh well being on the long list is amazing wow but then when i found out it was down to two i just said to my partner Mark, said I've got to get this job now because no one will talk about the runner-up. <laughs> I need this job. Just being and that was more to do with me than anything. And of course, if I hadn't got it, I would have been very happy to have been the runner-up. Um, but then, when I got the phone call from the Cabinet Office that I'd got the job. I was just kind of slightly bemused, but then thought this, this is my, this is it. This is my brief. This is everything I could have wished for to be given creative control from the menu to the table, to the flowers, to everything. I just hit the brief. So unbelievable. Quite, uh, it was amazing having Zoom calls with the kind of Downing Street and the cabinet office, because it was, it was like, they were looking at me to say, so how how is this gonna work? How is this gonna run? And I don't know whether in your career you've ever thought, Oh my god, they're actually asking me <laughs> asking me my what I think and how it's going to be. And one of the most surreal moments is was being on site, surrounded by um Biden's Secret Service team and Downing Street and me being in the middle, telling everyone how it was going to run. And that that is such a funny, funny moment for me because, you know, I consider myself quite, quite little in some ways, and <laughs> it was quite a big thing to do, but we pulled it off. But I have such a cool team, honestly. When I told them about it, um, they just it was amazing. They, they took it all in their stride, and we absolutely delivered what we said we were going to deliver. So tell us what you cooked. When I submitted my menu, they wanted menus, sample menus, I submitted one because in my way I thought, actually, I'm going to submit what I want to cook and I want to bring to the party, Um, not kind of four different menus and then let's spend another four hours discussing what, how, when. So um, for the reception, which was quite um, challenging because obviously with COVID you can't hand anything round, and so it all had to be kind of picnic style, kind of sounds a bit odd picnic style canapés that they had to take away i you couldn't give you you couldn't give anything away it was all about takeaway which worked quite well except um i think everyone was a little bit um being very polite with the queen there and everything i don't think much was eaten i can imagine you know you didn't want i did, we had done little um pasties and i didn't think anyone wanted to be caught with a pasty chewing on a pasty when the queen maybe said hello to them um, uh, and then for the menu, for the sit down menu, which the, the, what really appealed to me about the job was the fact it was so intimate. It was the, the seven leaders plus their partners, because initially I thought they were going to be asking me to cook for hundreds of people. And I'm just not into that anymore. I've been there, done that. Um, so the menu, <laughs> I um, served my melon, cold melon curry. Which sounds really bizarre, but it's beautiful. It's well, we refined we it to make it a gazpacho. But I said to Mark, I said, if I get to serve my melon curry for the leaders, that that's it. My career's done. And I did, and it was it was absolutely lovely. It was it's very fragrant. It's very pretty. It kind of sums up, kind of, um, it just sums up summer for me. It's quite it's you know, it was, and it was cold, which was important because of service because i was also feeding sherpas in the rainforest so we had a logistic thing to think oh, about hang on what do you mean you were serving sherpas in the rainforest <laughs> so at eden project where it was <laughs> the leaders um right hand men i think there might have been one woman actually but predominantly men were in the rainforest having dinner and the leaders were in the citrus grove in the mediterranean biome so it was quite challenging in the fact that to the rainforest it was a one minute 40 second walk from the pass so I had to kind of think about that um turbot on the bone for main course with a miso beurre blanc and spring onion sauce so again butter always has to be in my cooking (laughs) I'm sorry butter cream um yes can't do without that sorry (laughs) um but the turbot was caught just kind of 30 miles out from the restaurant landed in Newquay you know, know the boat, know the fisherman. He drags his box of the fish down sea lane to the restaurant. So that was very cool. Um, and then we did vegetables from Ross, who owns Padstow Kitchen Garden in Padstow. So Ross provided the the summer greens. Um, and then we did three cheeses. So we had a yarg, we had Helford Blue, and we had the lovely uh, semi-mature gouda. And then I did uh, pavlovas, English strawberry pavlovas, but very very kind of individual with elderflower. Um, and then what was the real hit, actually, with President Biden, with the petty force? Actually, the pavlova, he does have a sweet tooth. And I did mini ice cream cones with clotted cream ice cream. And he had three of those, so he loved those. <laughs> <laughs> and did you have a chance to chat? Oh, my goodness. I we It was, it was the most surreal thing, because in the reception... We kind of, you know, obviously we were there to, we couldn't serve drinks. They had to come and get them from us because of COVID rules. But they, all the leaders came up and said hello, even before they kind of went to see Boris. So, you know, that was the real, you know, Macron crossing the grass. And my French is, you know, not great, but not that bad. So we were talking in French a bit and his wife came over, Justin Trudeau came over. Um, But I have to say Macron and his wife, were charming, and um, Bridget Macron was the instigator in getting all of them to sign my book, so she was lovely. And they were very down-to-earth and very relaxed, but I think the situation of being in Eden and being in that kind of bubble, they all felt... There was just something very, um, uh, you know... It wasn't unrelaxed, which is so, was so important to me because I was told that they might not stay for the whole thing they won't probably eat that much and they won't be relaxed and and i said if i could just bring some joy to them through food then i i will be happy but as far as meeting president biden came in after the queen prince charles and camilla had their own drinks with their close protection officers but it was so much protocol around the queen but my restaurant manager charlie served to her gin martini which was quite fun watching him stand there and him looking at me going is this really happening um but uh we served dinner and it all went very well and then i'd managed my expectation that basically we were the caterers and we now needed to clear up But then Boris Johnson asked me to go up. So I literally went up to where the table was and literally I was swarmed by G7 leaders, literally. And me being me, kind of a bit awkward. And, you know, I'm a bit awkward. I'm quite shy, really. And that's why being a a chef behind the scenes has always suited me. And I kind of looked up and there's President Biden just standing there, kind of introducing himself to me. And it was like, what? This is really bizarre. And, um... And then we had a lovely chat. He gave me about 15 minutes of his time. And what did he talk about? He talked about his uh, daughter's husband not being a very good chef or thinking he was, but could only boil water. Um, He talked about dinner, how much he had enjoyed it. And they all signed my book. And we all had a photograph. And Angela Merkel was key in instigating that because she said, Emily, if we agree that you don't mind having a photograph, we don't mind, then you can have the photograph. I mean, it was, it was just... It's amazing. It was just... It was amazing. And, and um, then President Biden signed my book, and he wrote... This, this, the love, he could have just signed his name, but he's such a considered, thoughtful man. Um, and, and he wrote, You're as lovely as your ability to cook. Come to Washington. Which, you know... I mean, it was all very surreal. And for me, personally, my, my children... Well, Oscar, my eldest, he served the leaders with Rosie, who is Mark's daughter. So our children served the leaders. My son Finn works in the kitchen with me at the moment, so he was cooking, and Evie, my daughter, was kind of on the reception, running trays and and everything. So they were all so excited, and Alex, Mark's son, was um, serving the leaders and the CEOs because there was like three receptions going on. But honestly, for for you know. All the kids were like, I think you've done your job now. I think that's good. You can relax now. <laughs> I, f- I felt that I'd worked for all those years up to a point where I could do that job and do it well. Again, it all comes back to a team. Teams that You're so strong if you have a good team. They took a copy of your book. They all, they all had a copy put in their rooms, actually.
0: Well, let's go through some of your food moments that they will be reading. Um, so I am just going to assume the position of um, Joe Biden now um, and think about your Parmesan and thyme puff pastry twists. Now, why did you choose this one as your first food moment?
1: It all goes back to kind of childhood memories or certain times growing up. And with my my mum is a very good cook and f- food was always a place I'm one of four. So it's always quite busy in our house and food the kitchen was always something we came together to like a lot of families but we ha- we grew up um one of our houses had an arga, and my mum would always produce these amazing kind of puff pastry it was almost to entice us to move or or get out of bed or something because the whole you could smell smell the kind of parmesan and the olive oil and the the thyme and and these are so simple to make um and you can make them fatter so they're slightly more indulgent or go pencil thin and then they make quite a fun, like, you know, pre dinner drink. But um, just always remember kind of sitting up on the arger at the weekend eating cheese straws. And yeah. she'd al- always call them straws, actually. I should have maybe called them straws, not twists. But because I kind of twist them quite thin, I guess that's how they, the name slightly changed. But I think buttery puff pastry. Um, cheese <laughs> you can see some of my ingredients that I can't live without and then you could you know you could put garlic through them olive oil you can kind of make them your own you could put paprika chili you could um, do anything but for me there's always something that I can kind of still smell and just make, make makes you feel at home yeah. And
0: you said before, and you say in the book that it's not about dishes, it's about memories. Um, and your second food moment is another memory from your childhood. Again, that aga. You've chosen a, a roast chicken. Why?
1: I just think it's something, well, it's something I've always cooked for my children that always just makes them feel good. It kind of gives them a hug. And I, I don't know, I'm not that routine about what we eat. Actually, they always joke, so I don't cook enough at home. But, I, you know, I think... I love being cooked for, actually. So I do I do cook at home, but it's, we always have a late lunch on Sunday. Roast chicken's always something that's just Im- important. You know, you put it in the middle of the table and then you share it. Roast chicken, I think, is just one of those dishes for us as a family that will always, always be up there. And, you know, I make sure you kind of... You know, there's lots of herbs, garlic, lemon, and tarragon mayo is always... I mean, tarragon is such an underrated herb and I absolutely love it. And, you know, even... When I had the pub, I did, I, I always found it quite challenging doing the Sunday lunch service because, I, you know, carvery leaves me cold. Um, but I did do some, my chicken with tarragon and at, everyone absolutely loved it. So it's quite good to sometimes get, do a twist on something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still do roast chicken most every Sunday, even though both my girls, they're vegetarian. But they still love the whole idea of a roast because it reminds them of their childhoods and it reminds them of a, a ritual. We need the rituals in our lives. Routine is boring. A ritual is deep and pleasurable and and provides memories for life. So I'm totally with you there. Uh, your third food moment, tarte tarte, Um it takes you through to the Frenchness of you. There's a lot of Frenchness about you, isn't there?
1: There's quite a lot of Frenchness. And actually, some of that... T- was in the book but then we decided to remove it from the book because potentially there might be some more writing there and I think this book was all about Cornwall and I didn't want to confuse it too much with my life in France too my grandfather was French so we spent a lot of our childhood in Provence if we weren't in Provence we were in Cornwall because my grandmother had a house in Portilly Lane so we were quite lucky High days and holidays, kind of Cornwall, Provence, uh, cold, wet Cornwall, warm Provence. Sometimes we, you know, it was nicer to go to Provence. But um, the the French side is is something that is very part of our life, my life. Um, and I spent time in Provence. Then I spent time in a restaurant in deep Burgundy near Mâcon, and that's where I spent a lot of time cooking and learning my skills um and have you know I, I, it's just the most wonderful place it's very inland that you know you're landlocked the, the sea's not near but there's something so incredibly special about this little village called blano and in blano we used to sit at this amazing long wooden table and peel apples for days it felt potatoes or apples dauphinoise tart to town and um tart to town we always had, um, it on the Ouvrier menu, so Ouvrier means worker, so, and it's kind of a shame, because here in this country, it kind of loses its charm, if you say Ouvrier menu, because no one really understands it, but actually, for me, that's a, that's a really, a menu that you want to eat, that you, you know, and it wasn't expensive, I think it was about, I think it was about 10 euros back then, for like three courses, so, but um de Again, we go back to buttery puff pastry, <laughs> um, sugar, and apples. But again, three very simple ingredients. And um, I can still hear the wood pigeons. I can certain smells of the kind of... It was it smelt story. It was an extraordinary place, an extraordinary part of my life, um, very intense part of my life, um, meaning working long hours, which I kind of still am. But I learned so many skills, and my food... The, the yeah, you can't take the kind of, I, rustic may be the wrong word, because I think my food's quite refined and quite pretty. But that tart in the book is everything that I'd want it to look like. Yeah.
0: And it and your book is uh, takes us through the seasons. And there's, you know, the autumn is just beautiful. Uh, You have such wonderful photographs in in the book as well. But you through your words, you take us to the autumn of Cornwall, uh, through the Frenchness of the tata. It's it's very beautiful. Your your final food moment is the saffron fish stew. And it's all about the sustainable, uh, wonderful fish that you can get in your part of the world. Um, Is that why you chose it?
1: I think so. It doesn't necessarily have to be expensive fish, um, and I want to kind of inspire people to go to their fishmonger to use those people that know what they're doing. Even in Padstow, you could walk along the harbour, and if there's a fisherman, you could speak to them. They're all, you know, you just strike up a conversation, and um, it's a, you know, I think the fish stew. If you make the base, which I think in my book fennel, creme fraiche feature quite a lot, but this is the fennel based tomato fennel based fish stew but you could put whatever you want in it um whether it's i mean red mullet's quite expensive but does come in we had some last week that came in off the boat because we kind of say whatever you whatever you have um you know we we will kind of use if it's sustainable and it's uh you know you know it's very important i mean they all have such strict rules so generally whatever comes in is good but we had some red mullet and that looks very pretty in the stew because of the color monkfish works well in the stew um but you could put do you know the cheaper fish as well um i put scallops prawns i can get english prawns here but they are very expensive but again it's just it's having a go at at just you know fish is very quick to cook it's very very um easy if you use the people that can do the the technical part i guess I want to inspire people to cook fish more because I think we live in this world. Everyone's rushing around. Everyone wants convenience. Everyone is kind of on a time time timeline, which I think actually maybe just slow down, try and slow down or rush slowly. I talk about in the book, which is very Cornish, rush slowly, meaning do everything tomorrow.
0: Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the Bookshop tab at chillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news, especially about the Cooking the Books Supper Club. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and I'll see you next week when I'm zooming off to the Baltic with Polish food writer Zuzsa Zak.